You're listening to the Actor Aesthetic Podcast, episode 104, featuring New York City-based actress Kayla Ryan Walsh. Let's get started. What's up, everyone? This is Maggie Barra, and welcome to another episode of the Actor Aesthetic Podcast, where I take you behind the scenes of the theater industry. The Actor Aesthetic Podcast is produced every single week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at actoraesthetic.com slash podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram at Actor Aesthetic or join our Facebook group, the Actor Aesthetic Alliance. All links are in the show notes. Now let's get on to the show. Can I let you in on a little secret? Thriving on social media does not have to be as daunting as it sounds, so let me help you. With my brand new online course, The Essential Guide to Instagram for Actors, you'll learn all my insider tips into defining your brand, creating high quality content, increasing your engagement, and building a following on Instagram. Take it from someone who started on social media completely from scratch in 2017 and built an empire of over 10,000 loyal followers. If I can do it, so can you. As a special thank you for listening today, you will get 30% off your purchase of the course by going to actoraesthetic.com slash Instagram and using the code podcast30. Can't wait to see you all shine on Instagram. Well, hey friends, it's Maggie, and thank you so much for joining me this week for the Actor Aesthetic Podcast. Today's guest is the lovely Kayla Ryan Walsh. She is a New York City-based actress, singer, and dancer, originally from Bend, Oregon, and received her BFA in musical theater from Otterbein University. She worked regionally at the Arts Center of Coastal Carolina, Theater Aspen, Mill Mountain Theater, Weathervane Playhouse, Southern Colorado Repertory Theater, and many more. She was an acting apprentice at the Shakespeare Theater of New Jersey, as well as received a Fulbright scholarship to study Shakespeare at the Globe in London under Philip Bird's mentorship and direction. Recently, Kayla acted as producer and performer for an online staged reading of The Revolutionists opposite Kuho Verma, with all proceeds being given directly to the ACLU, raising over $1,000 from their one-night showing. In today's episode, Kayla and I chat about her musical theater training at Otterbein, making it without an agent, and breaking boundaries in the theater industry. So without further ado, please sit back, relax, and enjoy our chat. Kayla, thank you so much for joining us this week on the Actor Aesthetic Podcast. I'm so excited to chat with you. I know it's going to be great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So I know you grew up initially in Oregon, which is where you are right now. So tell me a little bit about how you initially got involved in theater. Yeah, absolutely. So I actually was born in Jacksonville, North Carolina, and my mom and I moved to Oregon when I was seven. Okay. And it was very much that kind of situation that all parents are in when they move to a new place and they're like, how are we going to get our kid involved in something? Cause I ended up doing a bunch of sports, all this stuff. You know, I literally did every sport under the sun, lacrosse, basketball, softball, the list goes on. And, um, 
I just remember vividly, like I used to always mimic all the Disney characters oh in any of the Disney movies. And my mom's like, okay, let's just like try this theater thing. See how <laughs> and um, so we were doing two shows when I was growing up, uh, Caps for Sale and Zeme's, Zeme Dreams. I like got hooked and the big, the big change was when I did The Sound of Music when I was 12 and mm -hmm. in our house, you know, Julie Andrews and The Sound of Music is as close to God as you can get. So when I, when I did that show, naturally I was a nun at age 12, you know, because that's how life works. And I'm still devastated. I never got to play Liesl, but that, oh. that show just, it, it was such a huge part of our, our lives and still is to this day. And so when I finally got to do it, I'm like, yep, this is what I'm doing for the rest of my life, hands down. Mm. Did you eventually know that you wanted to pursue a degree in theater or were you thinking about other passions? You know, honestly, I really wanted to be a dolphin trainer at SeaWorld. Oh my God. Of time. Like legit wanted to, like I, cause my dad was in the military. So we went to SeaWorld all the time. I memorized the dolphin show and because dolphins were my favorite animal. And there was this like very dramatic scene where a young girl was pulled out of the audience and like her, she and her mom got their pictures taken with the dolphins and then her mom fell in the water and turns out she was a dolphin trainer. And I'm like, I want that job. <laughs> so I initially really wanted to do that. But frankly, you know, once you move to Oregon, the prospect of dealing with marine and aquatic life is slim to none. So... Um, I also had a turn where I really wanted to be a spy, thanks to Spy Kids, uh -huh. him possible later, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, the theater bug definitely hit with Sound of Music at 12, and I've just actively been pursuing that ever since, and, mm -hmm. you know, have a backup plan, and this is just what I want to do. I love that. So what was your college audition process like? Take me back. You know, so I worked with MTCA actually. Amazing. Me too. Love them. Love them. They're just the best. They, they just so prepared me. And so in that prospect, in that um, point in my life, you know, we were considering all the prospects of like what we should do. And I worked with them and I auditioned, I think for over 20 schools. Wow. You know, at the time, I think we were similar in age. Like it was that one to two percent acceptance rate for females. Yep. So I'm like, okay, let's cover all their bases. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, just kind of look at all this um, from the grand picture. And so I ended up going to Otterbein University and I was initially a BFA acting major. Oh. And then I re-auditioned for the musical theater program uh, after my first semester, just because I'm like, I have to have singing yeah. fully in my life. So uh -huh. uh, and then, yeah, I, I went to Otterbein and they have that great um, kind of three and a half year program where You're your, right. yeah, your second semester, um, I think Michael Cassera was talking about this, how we all have um, an internship. So yeah. I actually intern at Bender Casting. So that was like the perfect segue to New York. That's so smart. I know that that's how literally Michael became a casting director. I learned so much. I interned with him, not because of our school's program, though I wish we had that program available, but I interned with him one, one or two summers when I wasn't working uh, during school. And it just blew my mind how much I didn't know and how much you don't know until you are sitting behind a table. It's so true. And like, you know, 
it, it takes the weight off your shoulders as a performer when you do that. And I'm sure you felt yes. this too. It's like how sometimes even the best people literally like true stars would walk in and then they didn't get it because like, oh, you know, they, they were like an inch taller than our leading man and stuff. So it was really, so true. just really great people. So I'm thrilled that that was my intro to New York. Hmm. And what was the, what do you think was the biggest takeaway from doing an internship at a casting agency? I think the biggest takeaway is, um, you know, it, it was a good reminder of how the worst thing that someone can say to you is no. And the best thing that someone can say to you is yes. Mm -hmm. And the only difference is literally one extra letter. So <laughs> as long as you don't take it too seriously and you treat it as this is your five minutes in a room to be every bit of yourself, then that's what, that's usually what lands you the jobs or even better gets you a reputation of being an excellent person on top of being a performer, I think anyways. And that was a great reminder from the internship. Absolutely. That's so great. So what was your transition like going from Ottervine to the real world? You know, I'm a little, it's funny because like I, I am such a weird little goofball of a person that I, I was, I was kind of worried. I, I was worried because, you know, I, I think every program teaches you something really important as you leave and hopefully a lot of really important things. But um, yeah. I was a little nervous in transitioning only because the only true thing I knew of New York is that it's this big bad place full of big bad people and like will I contribute anything to that amazing place that I've seen in movies and have idolized and wanted to go there for years and it's so funny I moved there three days after my last class just because that's wow. me. Wow! <laughs> oh my god. And I was like no you know what if I'm gonna do this I'm gonna do this and truthfully I, I totally credit Benton Whitley and I've been wanting to like write him a letter for ages and quarantining has been kind of a, a great period to actually think. Um, yeah. And I want to thank him because I took a class with him that first weekend that I was in New York and he basically just looked at me and he's like, how old are you? And I told him and just kind of was just chatting with him in his class. And he's like, I don't know if anyone's told you this, but I think you're going to have a long career and welcome to New York. And I'm like, what? Oh, wow. <laughs> so it's so, it's like a weird, bizarre little emotional thing, but like this man who I idolize and all of his shows that he casts and just that company, I just think they're really excellent at their jobs and seem to be great people that once he kind of gave me that permission, I was like, no, he's right. Like, welcome to New York. I'm, I'm so excited to be here. I'm scared, but I'm more excited, excited and scared. And so <laughs> it just, it was kind of perfect. I know it's so cheesy, but yeah. Wow. And how do you think moving forward out of school, how do you think Otterbein prepared you for now a career in the theater industry? You know, it's interesting because I think that what a lot of schools tend to do is like put you in a box and say, oh, you know, like this is where you'll fit. But interestingly enough, I think they had such fantastic acting training, especially that I went in to auditions and I still do to this day saying like, you know what, at the end of the day, I'm an actor and that's okay. 
And if I don't get it because I'm maybe I'm not the best dancer or singer, okay, but you know what? Maybe I was the best actor that day. And so they gave me confidence in my acting ability, especially, which, you know, I'm definitely an actor first. So, and I think that internship, it really was the best introduction because once you, you know, once you like pull back the curtain and see the great and powerful Oz, like he doesn't seem scary anymore. So it was, um, they prepared me in a lot of different ways. And I think, you know, maybe not being um, necessarily like an obvious choice for things, I then was able to like really look at my individuality and mm. hone in on that. Mm. So here you are, you are in New York now for just a few days and, you know, you already hit the ground running with, you started taking class. Um, did you immediately start auditioning as well? You know, I don't think I did. It's hilarious. It was only like four years ago, but it feels like eons ago. <laughs> you feel the same. You're like, oh yes, many moons ago. Um, <laughs> I don't think I did actually. I think, yeah, if I remember correctly, I... I was really picky and choosy just because I, I just heard that a lot of people were getting burned out um, very quickly because, you know, you come to the city with all this energy and you're so excited. And I think I waited maybe, maybe three months after like officially graduating, which really isn't that much time, mm. but, um, and then I started kind of jumping in and, um, but through taking classes, I found that I, was then getting auditions because of the classes oh, wow. I was taking, which was insane. So it kind of was a nice, um, it, it kind of prepped me early on. And then, um, then I like got my actor's access page going mm -hmm. and all that. And then jumped in fully, probably maybe like six months after finishing my internship. Yeah. Okay. So what kind of auditions were you going to? Was it a mix of submission calls, casting directors calling you directly? Cause I know you didn't have you, did you have an agent at this time? At this time? No. And you know, I still don't actually. And mm -hmm. so it was a lot of hustle and bustle going on playbill, going on actors access backstage, broadwayworld.com, all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And emailing directly I found was super, super helpful and kind of like cut out the middleman of waking up at 4am some days, which was a nice. Mm -hmm. thing. <laughs> mm -hmm. But it, it was a lot of um, either self submissions through actors access or emailing casting directors directly through the playbill breakdowns. Great. Smart. So you had a good balance of open calls versus submitting yourself directly and hoping that you get an appointment as well. So how do you think you paved your way because you don't, you didn't have an agent. So how do you think you were paving your way on your own versus relying on an agent to help you during this time? I, I kind of made many goals for myself um, like every week in terms of saying, okay, you know what? Um, I'm really interested in arrow rock season. I'm gonna, you know, like really focus on like, okay, what materials do I have in my book that would really hone in on what they're offering and stuff. So like being really smart with rep choices and mm -hmm. also, you know, like um, I always make bizarre kind of choices to like really lay it out there. Like my famous goofy stories when I went in for wagon wheel one year, they were doing Little Mermaid and I'm like, well, hello, absolutely. So <laughs> I changed the lyrics to Gimme Gimme and acted as Ursula and said like, Gimme Gimme your voice, my love, I need it. And oh my God. <laughs> I know 
<laughs> they were probably like, who is this girl? What's going on? But I got a call back. So yes, you did. You <laughs> yes, you did. But it, it definitely just kind of like thinking of the long term, I think was a huge component and saying like, okay, where do I want to be in a year from now? Like what theaters am I really wanting to create a relationship with? And kind of like honing in on those theaters and saying, how could I be a puzzle piece in that giant puzzle of theirs? Right. Which is really smart because you were also, I don't know when you started, when you joined the EMC program, but I imagine you were either EMC or non-equity. So it's really easy, especially when you're non-equity to get burnt out by the amount of auditions that you try to go on that you don't get seen at because there's way too many people there, way too many equity members. Um, so how did you, how did you stay positive during those moments? Finding like little bits of joy to like kind of sprinkle in the day, like meet up with friends for coffee on a lunch break or give myself an activity to do after an audition where I'm like, you know what, even if I don't get seen by six or five, I'm going to go to Macy's and look for a cute sweater or mm-hmm. I'm going to go to MoMA or something like that. I think finding, giving myself mental breaks away from the theater where I could just like put my headphones in and have somewhere else to be at the end of the day definitely saved me mentally by mm-hmm. just a crazy amount, I would say. What kinds of side jobs did you have during your times auditioning when you weren't performing? I am a babysitter. Yes. <laughs> you know, Broadway babysitters, you know, that's, um, I, I worked freelance, you know, as an administrative assistant, uh-huh. at Swerve, um, you know, just kind of all the little, do- the little jobs here and there. And I also am a dog walker. So jobs that were flexible with hours became my norm and are still my norm very much so. So uh-huh. those, those survival jobs. Yeah. Cool. Did you find that they, those types of jobs, babysitting, dog walking, that they were easy to balance with your audition schedule? Yeah, luckily, you know, the, the great thing about being in New York is that there's so much accessibility to everything, but there's also a great way that you, there's so many apps out now where I can block out my schedule and say, okay, I'm going to go in for this Mama Mia call from here to here, and then I'll go pick up a babysitting gig. So that became super super helpful where I was able to feel creatively stimulated, but also financially stimulated Mm -hmm. too. Do you have any stories of, you know, a crazy, crazy audition? The little hairspray pops up on my iPhone this morning, which I just like put it on shuffle. I'm like, wow, I've not listened to this since I did it. What, like four years ago, three years ago. Anyway. um, So Holly Booksek from Wojcik C called me in for theater Aspen's hairspray. Yes. And I booked that and it was my first CMC job Yay! and all that. But leading up to it, it was my dress, good old mod cloth. They have the worst zippers known <laughs> to man. Noted. <laughs> yeah, noted. Please, everyone, please take note. Um, <laughs> horrible zipper. My dress like exploded because I was just in a rush and all this stuff. And so my zipper was completely undone. I didn't have a cardigan. I didn't have anything with me. And naturally, I'm in Midtown, and I lived in Queens at the time. So you're like, cool, oh no, God. God. <laughs> great. 
to actually, God bless the girl who was at Pearl Studios behind the desk. I wish I remember her name. Um, she, one, gave me like little clips that you, you know, for music or whatever. I can't even remember the name of them, but she gave me like seven of those and clipped me into my dress and then gave me her cardigan. And then I went in for hairspray and I'm like, you know what? Maybe it was because of that sweet girl that I got it or maybe just whoever's upstairs wanted to have a sense of humor, but like it, that was... That was a crazy one and hilarious. And I still laugh about it to this day. That's Oh, yeah. I love that. And you booked icing on the cake. I know that you've mentioned this before, and I really do want to talk about this because I think this is very important. So you've mentioned to me that you've often been told you'll never work until you're 40, quote unquote. How do you feel you've persevered and proven, proven that statement wrong? It's, a, it's an interesting and kind of tough question because, I, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's something about character actors that I feel, yeah. you know, and I definitely consider myself a character actor, but I, I feel that there's this weird stigma that, you know, you will age into your type. <laughs> you will, yeah, like you said, you know, when you're 40, you'll book. And I kind of just ignored that because... At the end of the day, like the proof is in the pudding with the work. And if you are actively putting yourself out there and kind of ignoring all those voices in your head or otherwise that, you know, you become more resilient. And also, frankly, because I was told no, or maybe not this time or not yet, it kind of desensitized me in a way that in going to New York and in being, you know, a musical theater female, I, I didn't have any expectations. So mm. if I was given an opportunity, it, it was a shock and I appreciated it even more so than I think I would have. So, you know, you're actively chasing joy and you're actively chasing moments or opportunities or people who invoke those feelings in you. So I just kind of tried to ride that wave. And frankly, like, you know, finding, mentors who were told the same thing was yeah. um, also crucial, you know? And why do you think that is? Like, why do you think there's such a stigma against working as a character actor? It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, it doesn't make sense to me either because, you know, I understand it to a certain extent in saying, yeah. you know, like, Listen, dancers who are these fierce, powerful beings, absolutely, they will be working till kingdom come and they should be. <laughs> They're super deserving. You know, they do crazy things with their bodies and mm -hmm. everything. But um, I, I wonder if it's, I think people associate character actors with weight and mm. funny. And so, which I disagree with because ladies and gentlemen, Meryl Streep is like the best character actor. Yes. <laughs> You know, and she she has been fluctuating with her physique for years. Anyways, I digress. But, mm. you know, I, I wonder if it's because with a lot of training programs or just even regional houses or non-union theaters or what have you, tours, people associate size with success mm. and associate size with lesser characters for whatever reason, which frankly you know, in my opinion, like some of the most incredible opportunities I've had, and this is just little old me, have been playing like, 
seven tiny little parts in hairspray, you know? And Heck yeah. like why it's, it's interesting. I don't, I don't have a firm answer, but I, I almost feel like it's, they're like, you know what? It's okay. Your time will come. It's okay. And I, I feel fine. I don't need to be okay. <laughs> I feel great. Actually. <laughs> I appreciate it, but maybe it's that. I don't know. Yeah. And there needs, I mean, there's something to be said that there's a stigma against uh, certain bodies playing certain roles, whether that be the leading role. In reality, we all want to see ourselves represented on stage in all facets of theater, in all roles, not just one type. So I think that's really special that you are breaking boundaries in that way. And you just, you know, heard those words in one ear, out the other, and look at you now. So how are you dealing with this time in quarantine? Are you still creating? Yeah, you know, I mean, I feel all of us can relate to this. It kind of fluctuates every week in terms wow. of some weeks. I'm like, you know what? The sun's shining. It feels great to be alive. I'm in Oregon with my mom and her dog. Other weeks, I'm like, Broadway's never coming back. I'm just going to stay in my room. So it, it's been hard. I'd be lying if I said it wasn't. Um, but it's given me a chance to connect with people I wouldn't have. Mm. For example, um, one of the projects that I actually pursued myself during this time was The Revolutionists by Lauren Gunderson. Yeah. And I, I've wanted to do this show for ages. I think it's great so play. Great play. Oh my gosh. Everyone, please read it. Go support that incredible playwright. Lauren is wonderful. Um, and, you know, I was like, how, how can I make this happen? Like, I'm getting antsy. I have my job here in Oregon to pay the bills, but I need to feel creatively fulfilled. And I had been doing, um, similar to you, like just getting friends together and outside folks to do readings of plays. And that was such a blast. And some days we'd have cocktails and other days we wouldn't. And it just felt <laughs> so right that I'm like, you know what, let's, let's see what I need to do to make this happen. And y'all, it is so easy to make an online performance happen. So yeah. I strapped on my producer boots and produced it and asked two of my dear, dear friends to perform and direct in it. And through that, uh, my friend Billy Aiken Tires, who ended up directing it, she introduced me to one of my favorite performers, uh, <laughs> Kuf Verma from Octet, uh -huh. who you know, it's, it, it became that thing where I'm like, wow, I never would have expected I would have gotten to work with Kuhu. And we did the show and it, we ended up making it a fundraiser. So it was a stage reading. We literally did one reading and then one rehearsal filming day. Wow. And then we just sent it out into the world. And we ended up actually raising money for the ACLU. We wanted to donate right. proceeds to an organization we were passionate about. And it just made sense. I'm like, hmm, the revolutionists, hmm, the ACLU. <laughs> sense. So that was my big project over quarantine. And, you know, of course, updating the website and mm. putting videos together as we all are. But mm. I'm now looking at pieces moving forward that I'm also excited about. So kind of some things on the horizon as of now. That's so great. I am all for making your own stuff happen. You know, this time is absolutely awful, but I think some of the greatest pieces of art 
are coming out of it. I am astounded by the virtual productions I've seen so far on the internet. Um, just, man, artists are resilient. We really are. Look at us. Come on. <laughs> you know, it's, it's so great because, you know, we need that. We need that extra push to keep going. And I feel like I've found inspiration from my own peers, which that's the best kind of feeling. You can't, you can't buy that feeling. So it's, it's been amazing. Yeah. That's so great. Good. I'm glad. My last question for you is if you could give one piece of advice to a young artist pursuing a career in the theater industry, what would you say? I would say, you know, it's, it's the age old saying of (laughs) if you can find something else that you love more than theater, actively pursue that but also keep loving theater until it's just, it just feels impossible to. And by that, I also mean like, find your weird little niche in this world. There are so many more incredible playwrights and writers and musicians who are writing for this new wave of artists. And, you know, we need to actively keep pursuing that and see those shows and support those shows as well. But I think find your little niche, find your, your your companions who lift you up and at the end of the day remember that we aren't paid that much money so you should have the most fun humanly possible so <laughs> actively pursue that find find the joy i just that's kind of been my mantra over quarantining and you know and if something is not bringing you joy then get rid of it and that's okay if it's theater. If theater is that for you, then get rid of it. It's not going anywhere. You can support it in, in the seats and you can support it by donating to companies that you love or have loved. And yeah, chase joy, chase joy. That's my, mm. that's my hallmark. Love <laughs> it. Chase joy. Big fan of that. Kayla, you are so lovely. Thank you for sharing your story with us. Thank you for having me. Seriously, I appreciate it. Yeah. All right. We'll chat soon. If you've enjoyed today's episode and you found it helpful, I would love it if you could screenshot it, tag at Actor Aesthetic, and share it to your Instagram stories so that I can see who is following along with me there. If you haven't already, please be sure to rate and review the podcast on iTunes and also hit that subscribe button so that you can join me every single week for a brand new episode of the Actor Aesthetic podcast. Until then, this is Maggie Barra signing off. It takes a village. I'll see you next week.